0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time
1: to anchor down! Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. I'm really excited about today's episode. Andrew Allegretta, one of the two play-by-play voices for Vanderbilt, joins us today. Andrew, of course, new to Vanderbilt. I've got to know him over the summer. He is going to be a regular on the podcast this year, so we are very excited about that. And with that, here is Andrew. We welcome Andrew Allegretta for his Vandy Sports podcast debut. Andrew, of course, knew at Vanderbilt. He is part of the play-by-play team. He got there over the summer. I think literally, was it in the middle of the College World Series, Andrew? So it
0: was right as they were leaving for the College World Series. In fact, I think the day that the press release went out is the day that the team left for Omaha. And then I caught a plane separately on a Thursday. And then our first game was Friday or Saturday, I can't quite remember, but it was a 72-hour turnaround. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, what, what a way to break
0: in, right? It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, candidly, I remember playing co-pilot um, to the best of my ability because I didn't really know <laughs> uh, how everything worked at that moment in time, but I was trying to soak in um the broadcast I was trying to soak in the atmosphere of Omaha I was trying to soak in what it means to be part of the Vandy boys uh, and and I enjoyed it through and through uh, certainly disappointed that we came up one game shorts uh, but in terms of a debut in terms of getting thrown into the fire all of those sort of things uh, it was it was as fun as you could possibly ask for and Kevin was fantastic um, letting me play co-pilot uh, throughout the course of that two weeks in Omaha
1: Now, your role at Vanderbilt this year, you and Kevin are splitting duties. I just wanted to give you the floor to tell the audience exactly what you'll be doing this year, because it's a lot. Yeah,
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think one of the really nice things that Candace Lee and Tommy McClellan uh, decided to do when this opportunity came up is uh, to try to rethink how it gets structured. Um, Very often, it's someone that does football, basketball, and baseball uh, through and through, uh, but there's a lot of different ways to access games at this point, uh, both from audio streaming and the SEC Network Plus. So, uh, all of that is to, to say, all of that is to say, we've sort of devised um, somewhat of a new formula, so to speak. So, I'll be audio play-by-play. Uh, for football and baseball across the Vanderbilt Sports Network from Learfield. So that means your radio stations, that means your streaming app, all of that sort of stuff. I'll pick up play-by-play for SEC Network Plus basketball games, men and women, that Vanderbilt control. That's one of those uh, weird things that's hard to get into and explain, but some games are produced from top to bottom locally. uh, And those basketball games, men's and women's, I will pick those up. And then the flip side of that is Kevin will do audio play-by-play for men's basketball. He'll be on the sideline for our football broadcast on the Vanderbilt Sports Network. And then he will handle, again, games produced locally on the SEC Network Plus uh, for Vandy Boys. Uh, So I hope you took notes, but that's the rundown.
1: You know, when Joe Fisher took this job, of course, baseball at Vanderbilt was not a big deal at all. I mean, it was barely a deal, to be honest. But I'm just thinking it. How long your season goes, because I know what it's like, too. I mean, I just do it from a different angle, right? But we're doing baseball, basketball, football. And at Vanderbilt now, you basically have about a month off. I mean, that's assuming you're not doing any MLB draft coverage. And if you are, then uh, that takes a few weeks back, too. But it really is at this point, because I see you and Kevin at fall camp, it really is an 11-month-a-year job. And it's a lot to, to try to do three sports at once.
0: Well, I think that's part of what makes this setup nice. Uh, There's multiple facets about why this setup is nice. First off, Kevin and I can develop a really good rapport and kind of create this broadcast team mentality, which we've been, um, I think, doing a fantastic job with uh, so far, because Kevin is certainly a pro's pro, and I've really enjoyed getting to know him and work with him. Uh, So there's that to have a little bit of a unique setup in the SEC. Uh, And then quite frankly, it's, it's the burnout factor. It's the family factor. I think Kevin and I are both uh, people that strive for work-life balance. We're committed to Vanderbilt. We're dedicated it, uh, dedicated to it, and want to do the best that we can. But we have work-life balance too, right? Like we both have families. Uh, he's got a son that I think is nine or ten years old. My son is uh, one and a half. Uh, so there's there's so much about this setup. Um, that I think is just so beneficial for everybody. I think you're going to be able to get the best of me and the best of Kevin throughout the course of the entire season uh, from fall camp all the way to Omaha, fingers crossed, uh, that we'll be able to put out the best products possible and 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 still be able to be part of the Nashville community and part of our families and go to concerts and get to restaurants and be at schools and all that kind of stuff That that if you're trying to grind – all the way from fall camp to Omaha, it gets hard to do. So There's so many layers to this setup that I think are um, really wise. Plus,
1: let's be honest. I mean, Kevin Ingram can just be a real tyrant, right?
0: Yeah. If, if there's ever a word that's been used, Chris, to describe Kevin Ingram, it's tyrant. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, we're kidding, of course. Uh, both of us really like Kevin. He's one of the more easygoing. Uh, it, like it, if you feel like you get to know some people on air sometimes through their persona and this sense of humor, and that really is who Kevin is. He's he's a, we say that jokingly. We, I, I think, just have no, so much respect for him and who he is. He
0: humans. Yeah, for sure. Right. And, and that's and not to walk down the rabbit hole about work life balance and all that kind of stuff but i think that's 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 what's great here with all of this cuz he's got a loving family that he wants to make sure he's committed to i've got a loving family that we both want to make sure that we're committed to and and this this allows us to to be all of those things to the best of our ability for all of the people that we're responsible to from Vanderbilt back to our homes. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's fantastic. and I think we both kind of are aligned uh, in the way that we want to go about things. So it, it's been a really good fit.
1: Well, tell us the personal side for a minute, the, the part you're comfortable with. You're young, married. Uh, you've got – is it a one- or two-year-old? One and a half.
0: So one and a half. We're getting
1: okay. – yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, I mean, one of the nice things uh, for folks that are still getting to know me a little bit is, um, you know, I fall into this weird category of Nashvillians these days. I'm not a true transplant, uh, but I'm also not a native. Um, so my wife is from Franklin, Kentucky, of course, about 45 minutes up the road, halfway between here and Bowling Green, if people don't know, although I suspect that they do. Um, so over the past six to seven years, we've been in and out of this town constantly to come back and see friends and family. We got married in this city, uh, back in 2018. Uh, we've been here so often, uh, over the past six or seven years, despite the fact that I spent two years down in New Orleans at Tulane. Uh, and then collectively, we spent about six years at Virginia Tech over in Blacksburg. So despite the fact that we've lived other places, we've been very connected to this place uh, for the better part of six to seven years. So that that's sort of our story. And I recognize that by no means am I a Nashvillian through and through from birth, uh, but but nor am I somebody that's uh, pulling up in the. You know, pulling up in the minivan or the station wagon or whatever it happens to be, unloading your guitar and your stereo and your drum set, trying to make it a Nashville's music business. Uh, so, so I'm kind of in that, that weird in between. Do you own a minivan? Goodness, no. And I was trying to come up with the more 2021 <laughs> reference. Right? Like I'm sitting here going, okay, people don't really pull up in the station wagon anymore. But what do they pull up in? I, I could not come to that conclusion. Uh, I-, I don't know, pulling up in the U-Haul and unloading all of their gear trying to make it in Nashville. Uh, so I- I'm I'm not that. Uh, but I recognize I still have a lot of learning to do when it comes to this city. Uh, but but I-, I I feel very comfortable within it right away, despite the fact that I've got a lot to learn.
1: Well, I'm gonna have to break it to you gently. That day is coming. My wife and I lived in denial for a long time, but it eventually happens. So, what's the threshold? Is it three kids? Uh, well, we're at two, but uh, you know, the thing is, when when you have kids, kids have friends and um, stuff. you know, lots of stuff. Yes, yeah. and and people have you know two income households and need to split rides, and uh, you know, we we lived in denial for a while. My first step was an SUV. Uh, which I bought when my daughter, who's now ten, was born, and i'm now driving uh, so that was the first one, and then eventually uh, i had a I had a little two door car that I really liked um, it was told to me in no uncertain terms that 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 would be <laughs> sold uh that was a, a, a tough day but uh <laughs> these are the things that you do for your children and then, and we are now proud owners of a of a fifteen year old SUV and a what a five year old minivan so um uh-huh.
0: I will say this. There's many things that I have learned since becoming a parent, and I suspect you can um, echo this to some degree. I, 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 of all of the things that I've learned, quite possibly— the most shocking is exactly how difficult it is just to get out the door. <laughs> like, yes. Okay, we're, we're, yes. we're going to go to the grocery store, but let's make sure we have every item packed in the diaper bag and is his car seat uh, functioning properly. Does he have the snack that he might need uh, on the way to the grocery store? Or oh, we could just pick something up at the grocery store. Or like what if you forget something or you've just got to you know physically pick up your child and then you add a second one into the mix. Uh, physically getting out of the door may have been the most uh, dis. Orienting new aspect of my life
1: you know there are stages of this and i won't go too much further here but <laughs> but uh you know and one of them is like okay when they can finally use the bathroom on their own that's a big win um Correct. and like you know for instance when when they can crawl or walk that that complicates well that that solves some things but it complicates some others and like as they get older and and as you have a second and a third and we're just on (laughs) two but i was i was one of three boys you know just other things happen you're more capable of doing things uh but you're also capable of hitting your siblings uh which can be an issue um yeah happens happens often on the way to church for us uh so that's always fun but uh (laughs) yeah these these are just the fun things that you were in store yeah, no,
0: I've I've been picking them up uh, in bits and pieces and fits and starts over the past year and a half, but uh, it, it's a heck of a ride. It's a fun one, but it's a heck of a ride.
1: The most fun thing is when they cause a scene in public, you know, like at a restaurant and, you know— One's one's angry at the other. And, you know, that that, that day's coming, too. So, the, the- An, yeah, another parent trait is that all of
0: a sudden when you see those things happening to somebody else, all you have is pure empathy. Like, yes. as, a, as a single person, you might be like, oh, well, you've got to quiet your kid down. Uh, as as a parent with a child, you go, I'm so sorry for you. Best of luck.
1: Pa- <laughs> Parenthood strips you of all all pride and and lack of empathy. Um It it just wears you down after a while. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) you love our kids, right? We love our kids. That's right. Well, fortunately, there there is some work life balance for you and Kevin now. Splitting those roles, though. Excuse me, splitting those roles. In all seriousness, but let's switch to sports for a minute. Um, (laughs) For a few minutes, actually. Um, I saw you at fall camp a good bit. Um, What were your impressions of what of the product that Clark Lee was putting on the field?
0: Uh, Impressed in general. Um, Look, I I certainly am always cautious to walk down the football X's and O's land because I don't hold that level of IQ. But I will say from an organization, a passion, a discipline standpoint, all of those practices have been deeply engaging Um, from a positional standpoint. I think you can see some elements to this team that grab your attention. I know it's made Um, quote-unquote headlines throughout the course of the fall. But the defensive line has been very uh, intriguing, I think, to all of us that have seen fall practices, um, the way that Elijah McAllister or Alex Williams or Davion Davis or any one of these guys have been able to disrupt, I think, A little bit more than they have typically done in years past, whether it's the running back in the backfield or getting after the quarterback, that's been engaging. The depth at wide receiver uh, piques your interest. Cam Johnson has the opportunity uh, to be a star. Um, He's going to do it in a different way. He's not going to be necessarily a take the top off the defense on every single play type of star, but he's consistent, rock steady um, and can make a lot of plays. Uh, And then the depth is there with Will Shepard and um, Chris Pierce and you can go down the line with that crew. So I I, I think, one, you see the passion, the organization, the discipline, um, the standard that Clark is setting. And then I think, you know, I I gauge carefully because of um, really seeing the product for the first time this fall. But I hunch some position groups have have made some nice strides throughout the course of fall. So I think. While we understand 2021 will be difficult, I think you see the
1: seeds of things to come for Vanderbilt football. Tell me if you agree or disagree with this. If you had to sum up kind of how Clark goes about his business in just one or two sentences, I would say that the Tim Corbin influence is very present in how he conducts himself and how the team conducts itself.
0: Yeah, I suspect there's a lot of shared DNA there. I know Clark looks up to Tim uh, quite a bit. Coach Corbin, I'm sure he's got a lot of other mentors. Uh, Of course, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame is going to be one. Uh, There's a guy by the name of John Stiglmeyer, the South Dakota State uh, head coach, who I think he looks up to quite a bit. Uh, Free plug for myself, Chris, if I may. We talked with Coach Stiglmeyer. Uh, for our new podcast called The Anchor. Uh, So if folks want to track that down on Apple and Spotify, they can to hear what Coach Stiglmeier thought about Clark Lee as a uh, young linebackers coach back in 07, 08. Uh, Back to the question that you asked. I I think, yes, there's no doubt. There's no doubt that Coach Corbin runs through the DNA of Clark Lee. I I think if he could model a program um, very closely tethered to Coach Corbin, he would desire to do so. But I also think Clark is his own man too. Um, I think what I find so impressive about coach early on is he has his own voice and he's confident in his own voice. Look, he's in his late thirties taking over an sec football program um, for the first time, never been a head coach before. Um, He's worked at really well-esteemed places from Notre Dame to UCLA and so on and so forth. Uh, but having your own voice and being confident as a first time head coach in your late 30s in the SEC is no easy task. And I think he's defined himself very early on. He will be tested and challenged uh, when the ups and downs of the season come. There's no doubt. And I suspect he understands that. Uh, but I've, I've been impressed with the fact that he
1: has landed on his voice so quickly into his coaching tenure. The other thing that stands out to me, and obviously this is a reflection on coaching, coaches put their stamps on the program. You always hear in terms of schemes and playbooks and stuff, on one end, you've got that we've made it too complicated, and some coaches like to make things really simple. Um, I don't know where they stand on that spectrum, but I watch them offensively and defensively, and it's obvious to me they know they've got a lot of smart kids on that team who seemed to be able to handle stuff and whatever they threw at those kids, it just seemed like they were really able to grasp all of fall camp. And and I judge that based on getting lined up right, uh, not those confused looks to the sidelines of, you know, where are we supposed to be and who's supposed to be out here. I just thought it seemed to me that they threw. A very appropriate amount of stuff at those players and it seemed like particularly on the defensive side I've, I've remarked on this many times on the podcast Jesse Minter just throws every tool in the bag at offenses based on what we've seen. Yeah, so again, this is one of those spots where I'm going to be
0: slightly cautious about walking down the football X and O's territory because I'm not in their playbook. I don't have their level of football knowledge or expertise when it comes to that sort of stuff. I think what you're talking about to an extent right off the bat is I heard this so often down at Tulane and it's a cliche Um But Coach Fritz, all the time, every practice would say, the wave, don't beat the wave. The wave, don't beat the wave. And what you're talking about effectively is making sure that you get lined up right. You don't have pre-snap penalties. Um, Everybody executes the play to the best of their ability based on their job, which minimizes turnovers or confusion or missed routes or blown assignments or people in the backfield or whatever. So I think when you go back – To the first part of this conversation about the discipline, the execution that Coach Lee has brought to this team, I think that's what you're starting with. Look, if you can get out of your own way as step number one, you're instantly going to make yourself that much more competitive. I'm not breaking news. I'm not saying anything that's deeply intelligent here. But I think what you're getting at is the fact this team looks a lot cleaner so far throughout the course of fall camp. I do think having talked to them, again, this is all surface level stuff from a football perspective, I think they want to be able to confuse, and again, this is not deeply enlightening stuff, but I think they want to be able to confuse the offense or the defense with what they do pre-snap, but try to keep things relatively manageable for the guys during the course of the play, if that makes sense, right? Like the complexities of the schemes may not run, you know... (laughs) as deep as an NFL playbook, but what they're going to try to do is put themselves in advantageous positions pre-snap based on how they present their looks to the offense or the defense. So all of that, I think at least again, as a relatively novice, quote unquote, football type person strikes me as a really intelligent approach um, from this, from this coaching staff right off the bat.
1: This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore Athletics. His support as the title sponsor for Season 7 is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. The defense has gotten the attention because it has really won the day more often than not. But I feel like on the other side, David Rye, they're at least going to try to throw a lot of things at you, too. I mean, I think it will be a balanced attack between running and passing. I think their routes are going to be all over the field. You'll see swing passes. You'll see intermediate to the sticks routes. You'll see the deep ball. Uh, I felt like we saw that a lot in camp. So I feel like... Although the offense struggled, and I think a lot of that boiled down to the offensive line, I feel like his approach there is at least going to be to throw enough stuff at you to where they're not predictable.
0: I think that's fair. I think that would certainly be the the goal of any offensive coordinator or any play caller or anybody that's uh, structuring an offensive scheme. I mean, I think to your point, with them trying to stretch the ball down the field, that's playing to your player's strong suit. Uh, Ken Seals has a strong arm and he can make just about, if not all of the throws on the field. And if you've got guys that can take the top off the defense, Will Shepard is someone that's very intriguing. Devin Body, one of the speedy wide receivers, might be able to do that. A freshman by the name of Quincy Skinner might be able to do that. So if you've got a quarterback that can throw the deep ball, has the arm strength, and you've got guys that can take the top off the defense, well, that's an intriguing formula to go with. Um, But you want to be balanced, obviously, and it's intriguing to do so because you've got a couple of running backs coming into this program that, again, pique your interest with uh, Ray Davis coming from Temple. And I promise you, I don't know how this translates to the SEC, and I don't know, um, you know, uh, exactly where his season goes, but he was, Great, Not good. He was great at Temple. Uh, So that's an intriguing guy. And Patrick Smith is a freshman that's made a little bit of noise. And Rocco Griffin is a lot tougher than his size indicates. Uh, So you've got some pieces that allow you to go about and be balanced. Um, I I, I suspect it's going to be a quote unquote pro style offense. Um, And that phrase has changed over the course of 20 years. Uh, Back in 2000, that means line up in the I formation and hand it off. Uh, to Clark Lee's glory days as the lead blocker as a fullback. Uh, today, it still means spreading it out and using a lot of different uh, ways to run and pass the football. So I, I'm, I, I they, they have always struck me as a very um, intelligent, mindful, thoughtful coaching staff and one that's going to play to the strengths of their student athletes. Um, so that's a long-winded answer there. But They they seem to have gathered themselves in a way that that makes a lot of sense for this team right now. It may evolve over the course of time, uh, but what they're trying to line up right now
1: seems to make sense for the pieces that they have. You went over some players, and that jogged a question in my mind. There are always those guys that you see in fall camp that you're like, I'm really intrigued with this or that about this player, but you're always thinking, I want to see what this looks like. When it gets unwrapped on opening night, uh, I've got three guys in my mind that I'm really interested to see how that translates. I just want to get your thoughts on, on the guys that like you watched in practice and something really piqued your interest and you're like, I, I cannot wait to see what this kid does when they line it up against CTSU. Fire away. Well, I'll, I'll give I'll give you my three. My three yeah. were Ray Davis, yeah, how about Will Shepard. Yeah, yeah. Well, my my exactly yeah. <laughs> my were Dave, yeah, Since I put you on the spot, my mine were Davis, or Ray Davis, Will Shepard, and Ricky Wright. Because, um, you know, for different reasons, I, I I think you could make the case that that Wright at times was their best player defensively. Um, Shepard just made so many plays um, and frankly worked his way from a crowded pack of receivers where there's a lot of guys that are quality players, but he has now burst through and he's a starter on the depth chart. And Davis, I think we knew what he did at Temple. But they they kept him out of practice a lot because you don't want to have that kid hurt. But you know he's just got that hard charging running style that sometimes you can't totally unleash in practice. But that that that's my short list of guys, and I want to see if yours uh, would would differ from that at all.
0: No, I think that's a good list of guys, and I think you're talking about three players that have um, a skill set and a physical attribute that make them intriguing for this league. Ray Davis. He's not the tallest running back, but he's thick and he's got size, uh, which makes him very intriguing for this league. Uh, Derricky Wright has the length and the athleticism to play in this league. Will Shepard has the length, athleticism, knowledge to play in this league. So all of those guys are really intriguing. I've mentioned this a couple of times. I'll keep coming back to it. I'm very curious to watch what they're calling the star position. So that's Elijah McAllister, um, Alex Williams, and Lorenzo Sergers. Um, I think all three of those guys have SEC bodies, and for the most part, from what I can tell, darn near SEC athleticism and how they get used to create disruption, I keep going back to it. Um, Again, simplistic, I understand, but the statistics – of the disruption from vanderbilt's defense last year obviously we're not all that engaging um i think i think the team averaged forcing three punts per game last year that's that's not gonna get the job done um so can you use three guys like that at a position that's going to do a lot of different things on the field they're not out there just to rush the passer um Having said that, I think they've got athleticism to create disruption. So, I I mean, the only one I would add to that, and there's other guys out there that I think could have really good seasons, uh, and sometimes we just gloss over Cam Johnson. I keep coming back to it. He's so reliable that we kind of gloss over him. I think he could take a nice stride uh, to another level this year as well. Uh, But I'm curious to see what that position is called the star. So McAllister, Williams, and Sergers do to create disruption uh, throughout the course of the season.
1: And I think that's one of the things about this staff that's impressed me. Like you came in and you only know what you know, and and uh, you know if if you watched a lot of film last year, then then God help you. Uh, it, it was a tour to get I've through. I've watched, yeah, I've watched
0: some, yeah.
1: Well, and, and and I just don't know what you can take away from that. It it just got so bad at a point. But I, I was asked a few times, like who were the guys that you can see emerging. Out of this defense. And I scratched my head all off season, going, honest to God, I, I can't name anybody. I can't look at this defense and tell you anybody that I say, hey, I can see star potential in this guy or that guy. The thing I think that has really impressed me about this staff is now I left fall camp going, OK, I could see Anthony Orgy being a second or third-team All-SEC guy. I could see Dericky Wright being that guy. I could see Elijah McAllister or Alex Williams doing a lot of significant things at, at, at points. I could see Ethan Barr racking up mm-hmm. a good number of tackles. I mean, that's the thing is I just couldn't see through the mess of last year to identify, okay, where are the guys that they can find who can make plays on that side of the ball? And I left fall camp with a very different impression.
0: Yeah. And and again, to your point, I I only know what I know. Um, So what I know for the most part is, you know, a scattershot of quote unquote film or watching back to games or YouTube highlights or whatever from last season plus fall camp. But I, I would, I would tend to agree at least with the assessment that you watch the defense out there and whether it's the way that they're getting utilized, whether it's improvements that individual players have made throughout the course of the season, I don't necessarily know, um, but I think there are guys out there, some that you just mentioned. You know, I watch Michael Iwusu at times during practice, and, you know, I'm sure consistency is always a big part of it. And I understand he's an upperclassman, and, you know, I think last year's stats didn't necessarily jump off the page, but he's got size out there, and he's making plays. throughout the course of practice that that grabbed my attention too so uh there there's a list of guys that you are curious going into the 2021 season to see how the impression that they made on you during fall camp translates to the game and i don't know how that compares to 2020 or 2019 but there's a list of players going into 2021
1: which at least bare minimum is a start I want to ask you one more question before I get into the mailbag where some folks have some questions about your announcing career and getting to Vanderbilt. Oh, good. But good. Yeah, yeah, and these will be fun. But um, okay. one, one more thing, and I think this was the thing that jumped off the page in Clark Lee's press conference on Tuesday, and I think we're all wondering what this looks like. Clark made reference to, okay, Ken Seals is our starting quarterback, but Mike Wright's going to have a role too. And we all watched him play, and we said, okay, I think Ken's clearly the number one quarterback in terms of, you know the, the passing game and, and all those things, but in terms of just the stuff that Mike can do that nobody else on the team can do for a team that does does not have athleticism of Georgia, LSU, Florida, those teams. That's a kid you look at and say, okay, you want to get that skill set on the field if you can. At the same time, as your backup quarterback, and if you get him hurt and Ken gets hurt, then uh, you know then then you're on your three, and that's a place nobody wants to be. That that is a long winded way of saying. I wonder what that's going to look like when he's out on the field, and and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts there on usage for Mike Wright.
0: Yeah, I don't know exactly how that's going to translate. I think it's an incredibly important question. I suspect there are a lot of opposing coaches wondering the same exact thing. Um, Coach Sanders at ETSU might be wondering exactly uh, what that's going to look like come Saturday. You know, I was talking with a handful of the coaches uh, throughout the course of fall camp and. You know, this conversation was on the record, so I'm not sharing anything um, that's behind closed doors here. But, you know, one of the points that got made to me is like, look, uh, Ken Seals obviously is a thrower first, but he's got enough athleticism to extend the play and give the coaching staff the ability to use the RPO game and use his feet. On the flip side, obviously, the athleticism of Mike Wright makes him a runner first Having said that he's developed enough of a passing game where they feel like they can deploy that in strategic ways. How much I've got no earthly idea, but enough to force opponents to respect it. So you've got two quarterbacks, obviously with contrasting skill sets, but enough of each of the ones that they're slightly quote unquote, less than to use in a game to force opposing defenses to respect everything that they do. Um, Hopefully all of that made sense, but I think what it does do is create the intrigue that there's a lot of different ways that both of these guys might be used throughout the course of the season, Uh, starting with ETSU. It's going to be really intriguing to see how they do that um, throughout the course, not just Saturday, right, throughout the course of the season to put certain things on tape to throw people off. And can you create an explosive play by just flat out? doing enough creative things to create diversions and the chess match and so on and so forth. So uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. I don't have a direct sense of all of it, but I think the coaching staff is 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 keen on the ability to do all things with both guys to force defenses to think beyond Ken throws and Mike Wright, uh, Mike Wright runs, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, you made a good point there because if they can open up a little bit of a lead against CTSU and get Mike some time... You know nobody knows going forward what this looks like, right? And so you can always by using Mike enough, you can give teams just one more thing to have to prepare for every week. and And those two quantities are very, very different when you compare seals and right.
0: yeah, for sure. they are they are absolutely um, juxtaposed skill sets. I don't think anybody is going to deny that, but I think the point that the coaching staff is, is is trying to make at least in the conversations that I was having, again, it's it's not behind closed doors, this was on the record. Stuff is that each one of the guys has enough of their quote-unquote less than skill set to do it effectively in a game to force opposing defenses to respect it, thereby opening up a lot of options. Uh, For the coaching staff throughout the course of the season exactly what that looks like in games remains to be seen uh, but it's intriguing nonetheless.
1: All right, I'm going to go ahead and grab the mailbag here, get a few questions and get you out of here. Our mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Theodore 8 asks, I'd love to hear the story of your career and how you ended up at Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um... I am a product – I always say this carefully, and perhaps it doesn't carry the stigma publicly as it does throughout our industry, but I am a product of the Syracuse uh, broadcasting (laughs) – I don't know, whatever words you want to put on it. Um, Juggernaut. Yeah, I don't know. Like it's one of those things that we could do a whole podcast on like – our crew that went to Syracuse is so deeply fond of our time there and sort of the network and the brotherhood, uh, that gets created. Um, and I don't mean brotherhood simply as men because there's plenty of men and women that come through there. Uh, but, uh, on the flip side, there's enough of us that we become a bit annoying out there. Oh, it's like, Oh, another Syracuse person is showing up to call games or, anchor a newscast or whatever it is. Uh, But uh, I loved my time there, uh, met some wonderful friends that I still have now. Um, So I was there from 06 to 10, and then I did a ton of bouncing around. Um, And I think anybody that's in our business uh, would recognize kind of the 18 months that I experienced right out of college. I went to a town called Walla Walla, Washington to do collegiate baseball. Um, I suspect maybe somewhere along the line, some Vanderbilt baseball players have played collegiate summer ball out in that league. Although I don't know how many recently. Um, so I did three months of that small town, Walla Walla, Washington. Uh, they fancy themselves as the, uh, junior varsity Napa Valley. A ton of great wine comes out of that region. Um, from there I went down to Charleston, South Carolina called Football and Basketball Games on the radio for Charleston Southern University. Uh, That's the Big South. Um, So I was bouncing around to schools like Radford and VMI, who's not in the Big South anymore, but so on and so forth. Uh, From there, I spent a couple of months um, calling single-A baseball. Uh, the Potomac Nationals just outside of Washington, D.C. And then in July of 2011, I ended up at Virginia Tech doing their women's basketball games, baseball games. uh, And then my role grew from there over the course of eight seasons. Uh, So all of that is to say everything I just listed off happened between May of 2010 and July of 2011. Uh, So I was scattershot across the country for about 14 months or so. Um, Loved my time at Virginia Tech. Great people. Um. I did a ton of stuff there. Again, it was kind of rooted in women's basketball and baseball games at Virginia Tech, but it uh, expanded out to do sideline reporting for football broadcast, pre- and post-game for football broadcast. Uh, As the ACC Network Extra started to come online, I was doing a ton of those games. I spent two years at um, Tulane doing their football, (laughs) basketball and baseball broadcast so the quote-unquote voice of the green wave um, and then of course I ended up here at Vanderbilt so that's the incredibly tight synopsis of my past decade or so but um, coming to Vanderbilt was you know I said it um, on the day that I was announced I said it a couple of times I told it to quite frankly I told it to Candace Lee during the interview process uh, Vanderbilt's the number one job in the country for me I don't expect anybody else um, to feel that way if they do, I understand it. Uh, but between being in this city, this university, this program, this league, being close to my family, um, when this opportunity came up, it, um, it meant the world to me to pursue it. And, you know, uh, quite frankly, for all of the listeners out there, I I could not be happier, uh, to be here. Uh, I, I mean, this place is just between, um, How it fits from a work-life balance, like we talked about previously, um, to just being a part of this university, this mindset, these programs, this moment in time for Vanderbilt. uh, I feel so uh, fortunate and thankful to be here.
1: Theodore Eight wants to know, what's your philosophy about calling play-by-play? What do you think are the things any good play-by-play announcer has to get right to be a good one?
0: Wow. That is all 100% subjective. Um, there are so many different styles that are, um, successful in their own right. I think to an extent you have to be true to yourself, uh, because if you try to be something else and it comes off as disingenuous, it's no good for anybody. Um, as mentioned, I, I kind of, I, I come off of the Syracuse Tree. Um, so I'm not comparing myself. Please do not think I'm comparing myself to any of these people. But if you're looking for shared DNA, um, you're talking about the Mike Tirico's of the world, the Ion Eagles of the world, Bob Costas, Marv Albert, Dick Stockton, Dave Pash, Sean McDonough. Um, there's a ton of voices across the college athletics that come off of the Syracuse tree, Dan Hort at Cincinnati, Tony Caridi at West Virginia. Uh, Bill Roth has always been my mentor at Virginia tech for a long time. He's no longer the voice of the Hokies, but, uh, he is who hired me. So I'm just trying to give you, uh, people that would have shared DNA. Um, you know, I I think, I think I always try to be as engaging and as thoughtful and as passionate as I possibly can. Uh, We're still an entertainment business, so we're trying to make whatever we're doing compelling and interesting. Um, I am always going to try to give as much energy as possible, uh, but it is still, um, for the most part, what I'm doing between football and baseball. It's an audio-based medium, so I'm going to try to be as descriptive, informative, and help you follow along. Um, And then we're still the hometown broadcast, right? So I want to try to give you a reason um, to not want to listen to the ESPN announcers with all due respect to some friends of mine in the business. Um, I want to try to give you through our entire team, by the way, through Norman and through Kevin, we want to give you a reason to say, I'm going to turn down the television and track down the Vanderbilt sports network broadcast. Um, because we want you guys feeling like you've got somebody that knows your team to the best of their ability and gives you the passion that you want to feel too.
1: While I'm thinking or while you're talking about that, is there a way to sync up the TV with the audio uh, in a way that you can, because there's a delay, right? You can, you can, if you're listening just radio, a lot of times you're a good 10, 15 seconds ahead of what's happening on TV. I I know that there was an app at one point that Vanderbilt had where you could do that, but what are the plans or are there any plans for folks who want to do that this year?
0: Yeah, so I have, uh, I've long bemoaned and and empathized with this particular thing. I wish there was something where all you had to do was touch one button and it would be done. I think what, um, is, is nice now is I think most people still have televisions, whether it's through basic cable or through streaming devices that allow you to kind of stop what you're watching and then pull up something else and try to sync it up together. Um, you know, I, I would encourage folks that want to try to do this. Uh, to listen to our broadcast through the VU Commodores app, which is, look, candidly, I think we've got one of, if not the best apps in the country. And that's, I recognize somewhat of a silly thing to kind of go out there and wave the flag for, but a lot of stuff is going to happen through that app from um, mobile ticketing uh, to our broadcast um, to all sorts of stuff. So if you haven't downloaded the VU Commodores app, I would do that. And then, you know, if you've got a television where you can pause it you can also pause the radio broadcast, and it does take some fumbling, so I'm empathetic toward that, and I wish it was a little bit easier, but I think that's probably the best way uh, because you can both pause your television, I think, for most folks at this point in time, and you can pause um, the app and the streaming and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can try to sync them up that way and then you know, pair your phone through a Bluetooth device and pump the audio throughout the uh, the house or the man cave or wherever it happens to be.
1: One more question uh, before I get to the last one. We were talking about broadcasters a minute ago, and you talked about how you need to be who you are, and that means being authentic and not trying to be somebody else. But so, with the understanding, of this question means these aren't necessarily guys that you pattern yourself after. But who were the favorite guys that you have listened to, either current or, or growing up? Uh, who, who is the list of, of broadcasters that are just on your your favorite list of guys you've ever heard?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I grew up, um, for folks that don't know, I grew up in Maine, uh, just outside of Portland. So that's hour 45, two hours down the road from Boston. Uh, so a lot of the people that I grew up with, um, and I caution people, I'm not necessarily a Boston sports fan. That is another topic. Uh, but I grew up with the likes of Sean McDonough, uh, Don Orsillo doing Red Sox games. Um, so, you know, the Sean McDonough's of the world are really, really high on my list. Uh, I understand that he can ruffle some feathers cause he, Uh, run sarcasm through his broadcast quite a bit. Uh, But I find him deeply entertaining. Um, Ian Eagle has been uh, a really, goodness, a a wonderful sounding board for me over the past couple of years, really gracious to take my phone calls. Uh, And he is as good as it gets too. If you're talking about people that deserve um, to call a Super Bowl or to have that primary package on network network television, like Ian Eagle is is the guy that, that should be getting stuff like that um, to me. Uh, so there, there's a couple. Sean McDonough, Ian Eagle. Um, I'm such a fan of, of Dan Schulman, who does ESPN. Um, his voice is just remarkable, and it's a little bit unfair how good his voice and how well-controlled it all is. Um, in terms of um, some radio guys, you know, there's so many across the country that, that have um, captured my attention over the years. I think Josh Lewin, who does UCLA games, is just outstanding. Uh, Dan Horr, who I mentioned, is outstanding at Cincinnati. Uh, Tony Caridi is outstanding at West Virginia. There's a lot of great guys. There's there's great guys in this league too. I mean, Eli Gold is a mainstay at Alabama, and he's he's a talented broadcaster that's got his own style. Uh, so I appreciate everybody for kind of how they've carved out their own niches. Uh, across the country. But, you know, again, it, it, so much of it is, is rooted to me in the mentality that I grew up through. And that's that's going to inevitably be a lot of Syracuse guys from from many of the ones that I listed off earlier. Dave Pash and just the, the list goes on. So those are the ones that always kind of grab my attention.
1: How did Vin Scully do it as long as he did? I know that wasn't a name that you mentioned, but like his name comes up in any discussion sure. of the greatest. I mean, not not just how good he was, but to do it as long as he did and to have the energy for that, I don't know how anyone does that.
0: Baseball's hard. Like I, I think this is a bit off topic, Chris, but I, I think trying to get to know broadcasters, I think maybe um, 20 years ago or 30 or 15, I don't know. Anybody coming up... Um, doing what we do during those time frames 80s, 90s, 70s whatever it doesn't matter. I think Major League Baseball was was always the white whale. That's kind of the target people shot for. I think my generation doesn't necessarily have that same mentality. You know, if if someone is presented to be the voice of the New York Yankees, uh, (laughs) most people are going to say yes to that. I don't think people chase Major League Baseball in the same way, um, just because I think people understand what a stinking grind it is. 162 games, that's a lot. The travel, all that kind of stuff. There's so much to be impressed with when it comes to Major League Baseball announcers. Um, Just the how much you're on the air and the knowledge that you have to have to be able to carry a three, three and a half hour broadcast 162 times a year, plus be entertaining and have a personality and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but then just the sheer mechanics of getting up every morning and, and giving that job your, your best pitch, um, is, is a challenge. Um, and and it's just, I don't necessarily know what my generation of announcers would consider their, their white whale or the target. I think it's very diverse at this point in time, but, but to your point, because of the difficulty of just the sheer schedule, I, I don't think announcers chase that white whale now uh, that they did maybe 30 years ago.
1: Last one, I'll get you out of here, Andrew. Theodore Eight asks, what are the things you'll be looking for in week one against ETSU that will give you an indicator of how the rest of the season will play out? No idea. Um, <laughs> um, no, I don't I
0: don't mean to be flippant. Um, I, I think I think this the silly simplistic stuff is a really good place to start. Like how many pre snap penalties does Vanderbilt have? I know I mentioned this already, uh, but can you get out of your own way? Um, do you line up correctly? Um, do you execute the plays Most of the time, the way that they were drawn up, we're not going to know all of that, but the obvious stuff, busted coverages and quarterbacks and wide receivers going back and forth, confused, um, minimizing turnovers. I'm listing off football cliches. I understand that. Um, But but I, I don't see any other starting point. Um, it's, it's how well disciplined and well executed you can be at the basic stuff that allows you to build from that foundation. So, um, I will borrow coach Fritz's phrase from Tulane, who, by the way, that's another story. And my heart goes out to them big time right now with everything that they're going through. Uh, but the Commodores don't beat the Commodores. Um, I, I don't, fingers crossed that band. Vanderbilt can do enough stuff in this game where a couple of mistakes don't beat them, but a couple of mistakes down the road against a Florida, South Carolina, so on and so forth will beat you in a close game. So take care of your own business. The doors don't beat the doors.
1: All right, Andrew. Before I let you go, I want to let you have the floor to advertise anything with the school. You talked about the app earlier, uh, Twitter handles, anything like that that you guys would like to promote uh, before this first game coming up against CTSU that we're all so much looking forward to.
0: Yeah, sure. I appreciate the uh, the window there, Chris. I would say I know there's a hand uh, a handful of Vanderbilt podcasts out there, uh, but get your rotation set um, from yours, Chris to a couple others out there, but, but throw ours into the mix, uh, the anchor podcast, uh, Kevin and I will host an original episode that we're going to try to put out every Thursday morning with some special guests, um, people connected to the program or, uh, extended conversations like again, John Stiglmeyer the head coach of South Dakota state. Uh, We caught up with him just to kind of get his experiences from a young Clark Lee plus the Commodore Hour, which, of course, as always, is across the Vanderbilt Sports Network um, every Monday night. That will be posted as a podcast, part of the Anchor podcast channel. Um, Again, not hard to find. Just search the Anchor, Apple, Spotify, download, subscribe. So put together your Vanderbilt Sports podcast rundown uh, and throw us into the mix. Um, You know, and and beyond that, I I would just say – um, we appreciate folks tuning into the broadcast and making us a part of your Saturdays or men's basketball or baseball rotations. Um, you know, we love what we do. Um, we really, really do from Kevin Norman, me. I'm so thankful to be here. So, um, appreciate people downloading the app. Um, if you're looking for a radio station in your area to listen to the games, uh, go to VU Commodores.com under the fans tab there's another link that will send you to radio affiliates. Um, oh, a quick note. I will say this um, for folks that um, here's breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. Um, sort of not really. It's not all that significant, but for folks that have accessed digitally, our streams through tune in in the past, the tune in radio app has moved not just ours, but all of the Learfield broadcast behind a paywall. Um, so you can still access, you would just have to pay to get the games. Um, so, why I keep bringing up the app is the app is free to listen to our games, download the app for free, listen to our games for free. So if you're looking for a streaming option for what we do, not just football, uh, but Commodore hour men's basketball, women's basketball, uh, baseball games throughout the course of the year. If you're looking for a streaming options, the VU Commodore app, uh, is the best place to go. And again, if folks didn't see it, like so much is going to happen in that, um, from digital ticketing to information about schedules and updates and, um, you know, Mr. C's kids club is in there, team store, yada, 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 yada. It's a really darn good app. So I I would say all of that. And if people want to throw me a follow on Twitter and reach out and say, hello, um, it's at a Allegretta, a L L E G R E T T A pretty simple. A A L-L-E-G-R-E-T-T-A. I hope I spelled my name right. Um, and that's where you can find me. By all means, reach out and say hello. Um, I, I know COVID has been strange and it's kind of, we're, we're much better than we used to be in terms of being able to get out and talk to people and all that kind of stuff. I know we're not exactly where we want to be, but um, throughout the course of my time here, which I'm so looking forward to, I'm, I'm also really looking forward to connecting with so many fans uh, as well, because uh, y'all are the lifeblood of what we do. So there's the rundown chris
1: all right i will second that about the app it is a really good listening experience the audio quality is is great um so if you haven't tried the the view commodore's app to listen to broadcasts, i would encourage you to do that from personal experience but andrew i really appreciate you joining us today um I've enjoyed getting to know you through fall camp. Uh, you're very unpretentious. You're fun to be around and to talk to. <laughs> you, 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 and I say this for Kevin, too, in all sincerity. Um, we can give each other a hard time at times, but um, you, you guys are just two of the more likable guys i have been around in this business. It's often one that is dominated with egos, Uh, and those sorts of things. But I I really appreciate that about both of you guys, uh, that you're just down-to-earth guys who have been easy to get to know and and fun to hang out with at practice. Uh, and also very good at what you do. It, it says a lot um, to see how much time you guys spend going to practice and watching the team uh, because you're concerned on how you want to do your job and, and to do it well. And Those are just two things that I can share behind the scenes about both of you that I appreciate and I think fans will come to appreciate those things as well. well I,
0: I appreciate that, Chris. It's very kind of you. I've enjoyed getting to know you and just about everybody that we've seen here at Vanderbilt over the past couple of months and You know, I I keep saying it and I'm laying it on thick and, you know, I'm always cautious about, you know, you you say things that that feel like a line and it feels like something that people just say. But I I promise you when I when I say I'm so grateful and thankful and happy to be here, that's coming from the heart. So I I can't wait for uh, football to
1: start. Well, now that I buttered you up, we have to have you on again.
0: <laughs> you more you're more than welcome. You are more than welcome. You've got my cell phone, and and I, I look forward to talking with you. And I I've really I, I've just enjoyed getting the opportunity through you and through others and through our broadcasting with Kevin to just uh, soak this place in and and talk as as much Vanderbilt athletics as I can.
1: Well, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Let's do this again soon.
0: One hundred percent.